Hey, welcome to Recharting Your Life with Hope. I'm Hope Cook, creator and host. If you feel stuck, restless, overwhelmed, or dissatisfied with your current life, despite your life looking pretty good on paper, or at least on social media, I can totally relate. Together, we'll figure out how to take the next right step. I'll interview women who are a little farther along on the path and get tips and ideas from them. I definitely don't have it figured out, so I'll share the ups and downs of my own journey with you. Let's get started because life is too short to waste in autopilot. If you want to be the best possible version of you, you're in the right place. Welcome, everybody. Today we have Nadine Kenny Johnstone. I met Nadine um, when the pandemic first hit. I took a writing course online and she is amazing. So if you're into writing at all and you want to bump it up a notch and maybe get some things published or work on a memoir or just have a group of writers that you work with on a weekly basis, Nadine is your lady. So I want you to hear her journey, though. Nadine's journey is not just about being a writer. It's so much deeper than that. Welcome, Nadine. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love this. Yes, me too. All right. So I want to start with, I know you used to teach college students, um, and I think it was in writing, but I don't know how you got from there to becoming a writing coach and writing this amazing memoir. So I'd like for you to walk us back through that time, um, maybe start about 10 years ago. Yeah. Okay. So I might backtrack even more. I'm going to backtrack about 15 years okay. ago because I kind of look at my life in these different segments and I really saw a major pivot about 14 and a half, 15 years ago. So um, I was in graduate school and uh, in Chicago, where I'm from, and my mom and uncle and cousin were going to go on a little trip to Florida in the spring. And spring in Chicago does not exist at all. <laughs> it's like winter <laughs> until May. And it was April 2006. And I was like, okay, I, I'll go. And I went on this little trip to Tampa, Florida. And um, I went to go listen to music with my mom. She and I went out for a drink and to listen to music. And it was kind of like a, a weird thing because I was 22. So yeah. it was the first time like really like going out somewhere with my mother. And uh, but we went to go like listen to music at, um, at this place called the Green Iguana. Yes. <laughs> they had live music. And um, my mom uh, tapped the guy next to her on the shoulder. And she said, you're my daughter's type. Buy her a drink. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How many drinks did she had at this point? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> yeah. that did, that did help. But, um, and so <laughs> this man turned and he was like, where's your daughter? Oh my and um, that man is now my husband. And we've I been did not together. know that. What a yeah. good story. Yeah. We've been together for 14 and a half, almost 15 years. And, um, and so the reason why I bring that up is because 
really up until then, my life had been very kind of, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't say sheltered, but I would say that it was kind of all within like an Illinois radius. Like I grew up in Chicago. I went to undergrad in Southern Illinois. I went to grad school in Chicago. It was very Mm -hmm. Chicago centric. And when I started dating my husband, who is from Massachusetts, it was the first time I started really exploring the world. Yeah. And so I started, you know, taking trips to Boston to see him and vice versa. He would come and, and we would go for these hikes. I, I, I was always active and outdoorsy, but you know, you don't really hike in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> and so we would like go to Maine and hike in New Hampshire and Vermont and Connecticut and Rhode Island. And so I was seeing the world for the first time, mm-hmm. really. And the reason why I backtrack all the way until that point, because as I look at my life and I think about the series of things that have kind of created positive change in my life, yeah. it always starts with just a tiny bit of curiosity Mm -hmm. and thinking, let's just see, let's just try this out. Let's just see what's there. Yeah. And, and I really want to kind of hone that in because I think so often that when we think about restructuring our lives in any way or, or doing something different, we always think that it's going to be like this mega moment, right? Yes. But as I look back in my life, it really has just been a small series of curiosities mm-hmm. where I say to myself, there's an intuitive voice where I go, let's just see why not? Yeah. And then it leads to the next leads to the next. I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. Let's just go to Florida for the weekend. Why not? And okay, let's just keep calling this guy or returning calls to this guy whom I met in Florida. Why not? It makes no sense. We lived 800 miles apart. I was in grad school. He was working full time. Like anybody else would have said, why are you investing any time or energy into this? Like, is it really going to work out? And then a few years after that, I said, let's just see what it's like to live in Massachusetts. And then a few years after that, let's just see what it's like to write and submit a book. And Uh then let's just see what it's like to coach women on -hmm. their memoirs. And so it really has been just a trial and error, error, trial and error over and over again, that stems from a moment of curiosity. I love that. It's one of my favorite writing topics is what would it look like if, and that's kind of what you're saying, what would it be like? Why not? Let's just try it. Be open to possibility. Yes. And now I will say I am a total free spirit and I'm also a control freak. So it's like these opposing things at the same time. I, um, I always have seen a counselor for years and years. I, my sister's a social worker, like we're a family that really believes in um, like seeking help. And yeah. so um, when I was talking to a counselor years ago, she said something so interesting. I was catastrophizing, right? I was going, oh yes, this could happen and that could happen. And oh my gosh. And I was saying all the negative things that could possibly happen about yep. this one thing. And she said, okay, well, what if you asked yourself, what's the best thing that could happen? 
And I have never, ever thought about that. And now sometimes instinctively, I, I do do that. My husband says I'm like the perpetual optimist. Uh-huh. But if you get me in a negative spiral, I can go really, really far. Yes. So sometimes the way to get out of that is just to go, okay, well, let's just see what's the best thing that could happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and- you could meet the love of your life. You could right. end up marrying this guy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's a book, Hello Fears, and, oh, yeah. and that's the question she says to ask yourself, what is the best thing that could happen? Because I'm like you, I'll go down that spiral, and in my mind, there's going to be death and destruction. And <laughs> Oh, yeah, it, it's always that. It always yeah. goes right there. It doesn't even like really go to, oh, well, maybe this and that. It's always like right. alone or, you know, lose everything. It's always the absolute worst yep. thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I mean, there have been so many moments of, of pivot in my life where I had to just kind of stand in, uh, I use faith loosely mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm not religious per se, but I'm spiritual and where I just have to kind of stand in my faith and go, I, I think it'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just really have to take the leap because Um, there have been so many different moments where there was really no guarantee of anything. Uh That's when it's hardest, when there's no guarantee. So for example, when I left Chicago the day after I graduated grad school and drove the 800 miles to Massachusetts, I knew no one. I had no connections, Mm -hmm. right? There was no and, and it, my husband and I were only dating at that time. There was no guarantee yeah. that anything would work out wow. at all. And, um, and when we started later, when we got married and started trying for a baby and faced infertility issues and, and we were seeking IVF, there was no guarantee of anything, which is maddening, right? Yeah. In our society, we've been taught okay, if you work hard enough for X, Y, Z, you will get that thing, right? Yeah. So you do the schooling and you'll get the job. You, you work hard for this, you'll get the promotion. And so we've always been taught that like hard work will earn anything you want. Mm-hmm. And I have found that the hardest and most rewarding moments of my life were when actually it was a thing I couldn't earn I couldn't, it was just like, yeah, fingers crossed, let's hope this works out and just see. And that I think is the hardest time to sit in where you go, there is no guarantee that there yes. will be payoff on the That's other the hardest part. You just, we, you're right. As a society, we want to guarantee, we want to know that it's going to work out before we take that first step. Yes. And that'll keep you stuck. I always say you're going to live in Stuckville if you do that. <laughs> It is so true. It is so true because about six and a half, almost seven years ago, um, we had been living in Massachusetts. I was, um, let's see, our son was a year old and uh, I suddenly just one day woke up and I was like, we need help. We need more community around us. We need, we need a village to raise this child. 
I, I want to be back in Chicago. And, um, and so I turned to my husband, we had been living in Massachusetts together for six years, but he had lived there his whole life. And I said, I, I think we need to go back to Chicago. Oh, wow. And so this, this was a time in our lives where, I mean, there were no guarantees on any end, right? Yeah. So we put our house up for sale. No one was buying it. Our son was a year old and we're like, how it, we were moving from very rural Massachusetts to middle of the city, Chicago. Oh, wow. And we're like, how is this going to work? Everybody yeah. else does the opposite. They do. They, they get married, maybe live in the city, flee to the suburbs. Uh-huh. How is that going to work? My husband was a nature guy. How is he going to exist in this city? We didn't have job guarantees. We, um, I was under contract to write my memoir and oh. I had a very short time to write it. Yeah. And it was like, we just leapt with absolutely no parachute. Um, Besides, I will say, of course, knowing that both of our families would step in if we really Mm -hmm. floundered, like they'd say, come live on our couch. So but you felt this pull, you you just listened to that pull that said, we need to move back to Chicago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, and we're, we're starting to um, feel the pull of, okay, what do we want the next chapter of our lives to look like? And so I will say this too, just because you decide something Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you're stuck in that decision forever. That's true. I listened to, yes, I listened to Emily P. Freeman, um, her Mm -hmm. podcast, The Next Right Thing. And just yesterday, I believe she had an episode that said, you're allowed to change your mind. Mm -hmm. I always felt that once I made one decision, like I had to just like deal with it. So when we moved to Mass, when I moved to Massachusetts, I really thought like, okay, this is it right for good. And so when I started feeling the pull to come back to Illinois, I berated myself for a little while Mm -hmm. going, well, why, what are you doing? You know, you, you made this decision and I finally have realized that we change and for good reason, and we're allowed to change our minds. That's so true. We, we lived in Washington, DC. And when we had a kid, when he was about a year and a half, we did the opposite of what you did. We decided Mm -hmm. we had to be close to family and we needed to be in a rural, more rural area. So we moved back to Georgia, but it was really my husband who said he felt the pull. I was the one who said, but what will people say? But I'll disappoint my employer. Mm. But, you know, and I had all these buts and they were other people's opinions. And, you know, the story in my head, I was not listening to what I really wanted. And when we yeah. finally came here, it was such a relief. It felt like such the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you brought up the stories that we tell ourselves Mm -hmm. because almost always they are things that other people will say Mm -hmm. or um, their judgments we're making about ourselves that we would never make of a friend, you know? So if a friend told me, Hey, I'm living with, I have a one-year-old and we don't really have much family support around us. And I'm feeling pulled to, to be back by my family. It's like, good for you go. Right. right? (laughs) But to ourselves, we just go, what are you thinking? How could you do this? Yes. How did you, Mm -hmm. with your husband, how do you um, reconcile when you each feel a pull or when you feel feel a pull, but he doesn't feel a pull? (laughs) 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, I think start a relationship with long distance and you will forever be <laughs> in that pool. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, physically, literally. Um, so, so how to reconcile that? That's a really good question. Um, when, when I first moved out there, I could tell that I um, was in a place in my life where I had more flexibility. Mm-hmm. I had just graduated grad school. I hadn't yet secured a teaching job. I wanted to explore the world, have a new change of scenery. So I felt like, okay, I can move there. He had like a full-time job and was, yeah. was doing that thing. And I think he felt more grounded, you know, six and a half years later, when I was starting to feel that pull and I said it to him and I guarantee you, he would never have chosen to like live in Chicago on yeah. his own. Um, he's, he grew up in the woods. He, he is not a city person. And, and right now we live, we don't live in Chicago anymore. We live about far away, more rural, but, um, but Anyway, so uh, when I said to him, you know, I'm feeling the pull to go back, what he said to me was, even though he wasn't feeling it, he said, Nader, that's what he calls me. He said, Nader, you, you've lived here for six and a half years. I owe it to you. Yeah. So it's give and take. Yeah. Give and take, give and take. So it's, it's kind of like, what is, what is each other needing? And at what point and who, who really is having a void that needs to be filled. And if they don't get that filled, it'll lead to resentment. That's the thing. When someone's at the point where if I don't get this thing filled and I'm going to be resentful, then, you know, something's got to give. Yeah. It's that strong. It's that strong within them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I also want to talk about, I know you, so y'all moved to Massachusetts. I mean, you moved to Chicago Mm -hmm. and then, Walk me through what happened in the next few years. Yeah. So we've now been here since 2014. So it'll be going on seven years. And that's the funniest thing when I, when we were like, okay, we're going to move to Illinois. In my head, I had this picture of what it was going to be like. (laughs) And so many parts of that picture did happen But the beautiful thing is that so many other parts that I never would have expected also happened. Yeah. So it's like, um, you know, certain people like Kathy Heller will say things like visualization is great, but oftentimes you can't even visualize what could be in store Mm -hmm. for you. And I couldn't have. So basically when we moved to Chicago, we moved to this tiny two bedroom place in the middle of the city (laughs) and life was very city filled. You know, we we walked everywhere or I I took the L train, um, art galleries, lots of culture, restaurants, Mm -hmm. um, just like I was like, I felt like someone was just pouring me (laughs) with so much goodness. And, um, and so during that time, we ended up um, renting out our Massachusetts house. And yeah. so that kind of slowly took that off our shoulders. Uh-huh. I ended up um, getting a teaching job at a university. And then, um, you know, our son met really good, cute friends in preschool yeah. and developed that. And um, we did a lot of exploring. And so about almost two years in, we both, I think Jamie first, and then I, I came around to it. We both were like, okay, we had that. And now we're ready to, 
move on to something different. And, um, and so we looked around and, and found a little rental house about a half an hour outside of the city that still felt like we could like access the city, but uh -huh. also have peace and quiet and nature and all yeah. those things in a yard. And, um, and during that time we met more new neighbors. It's like, I had no idea the community I would meet when uh -huh. we came back here. I just kind of thought, oh, well, I'm coming back to my mom, my sister, my old friends. Yeah. Since being here, I've back here, it's growing this community, not only of neighbors and new friends, but also all these writers that yeah. I met too. And so um, I was doing a lot of um, starting to really coach women writers with their memoirs and their essays. My memoir came out and was published. Like in the years that we've been here, a lot of big things that have, have happened in terms of like really proud milestones for yeah. me. Like my book came out, I helped so countless women get their books out into the world, mm -hmm. which is so rewarding, um, getting their essays published. So I was growing coaching. My husband and I were doing little retreats. So he's a, oh. a former chef. So he would cook. I would teach. That's amazing. It, yeah, it was so awesome. And actually pre-pandemic, we had like a really big retreat planned and, um, and we've had to pivot a little But I do think one day that, um, when things are safe again, that we'll get back to that. So I was leading, we were leading retreats, which was really cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, our son's growing up. And then, um, and then we finally uh, found a home that we ended up buying that was even further away from yeah. the city. We have chickens in our side. Oh, wow. <laughs> we have a little pond behind our house. That's so you cool. Know, it's so, um, and, and we've done a lot of a big garden on the side of our house. So raising our son with just a lot of knowledge around nature. So if six and a half years ago, you would have mm -hmm. told me like, oh, by the way, yeah, <laughs> you're actually going to end up living like in a house on a pond with chickens and yeah. <laughs> I would have been like, well, but wait, I'm, I'm moving back here to be in the city. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you, you never know what, what treasures and nuggets will unfold when just one thing leads to the next leads to the next. Mm -hmm. And you just have to be open to it. Yeah. And yeah. you, you'd mentioned your memoir. So would you, do you mind telling the listeners what your memoir is about and how you came to write it? Yeah. Yeah. So in graduate school, I had studied creative writing and the teaching of creative writing. And so I've been a lifelong reader, writer. I was writing kind of thinly disguised fiction. Um, that yeah. was really autobiography. <laughs> but then um, when we were living in Massachusetts, I got married and we're ready to try for a family we had medical hurdles. And so they said, okay, you're going to have to seek fertility assistance. And, um, and I won't get into the gory details, but I went in for what should have been a very simple procedure and it didn't go as planned. And I hemorrhaged massively oh. and oh. was rushed to the ER and needed to undergo life-saving surgery. Wow. So when that something like that happens, yeah. <laughs> don't have to fictionalize anything because yeah. you have a lot of things to write about. So I was writing about what it was like. Um, I had never really had any medical mishaps up until that point. I mean, not a broken bone, yeah. nothing. So one, it took me by total shock Two, I mean, I was 
physically, it took a while to walk again. Mm-hmm. I had a major incision in my abdomen. So walking again, driving again, gaining independence again. I had never been like laid out flat for a long period mm-hmm. of time. And I'm a go, go, go person. So that period of time, it's like all of the emotional stuff that I've been mm-hmm. holding in forever just came pouring out. Wow. And I had a lot to think about in addition to this question, which came up, which was how much of my own life am I willing to risk uh, in the attempt to create life? So wow. it felt like I had to either, I had to choose one or the other and it felt frustrating and maddening. And yeah. I was so angry. So I had to deal with a lot of just emotions. And then um, out of nowhere, a couple of years later, I got pregnant naturally after many, really? many failed IVF attempts. Wow. And, um, and so our, our beautiful son, Gio, is now seven years old, but the memoir really encapsulated um, that few year period of time where we wanted something so badly. And it mm-hmm. was that thing you, you can't earn, you can't work for it, it happens or it doesn't. And um, having, to, uh, having to really kind of grapple with lack of control and yeah. what to do when you have no control. So it's called of this much, I'm sure. And the reason why it's called that is because when I was at a really low point, just like my, you know, what happened to my body and we couldn't get pregnant. I was at a Panera yeah. and I was writing and I'm just crying. And, um, and I get this email out of the blue from Jamie, my husband's cousin, and she is an amazing person. Her name is Amy. And Amy is a, a master of all things. She's a life coach. She's a doula who helps mm-hmm. midwives give birth um, or helps the midwives to help others give birth. And she just sent me this email out of the blue as if she knew that I needed it. And, and she was just acknowledging how I was yeah. feeling. And she said, you will have your baby of this much, I'm sure. Oh, wow. And I was just bawling because she was the only person that had communicated certainty to me in a time uh-huh. where everything felt uncertain and un- not in our control. And it was kind of one of those things. She didn't say how. She, yeah. you know, she, we didn't know how, whether it would be adoption or more IVF or whatever. Mm-hmm. But just to have someone have certainty and belief that this thing that you want badly can happen. Yeah. I repeated that mantra over and over again for so long. You will have your baby of this much, I'm sure. So that is the the title of the book of this much. I love that. I picture you during those few years, just living in a place of sadness and fear and hurt. And you mentioned anger and then her words just offered a little sliver of light. Yes, I think I think it was that. And you know what else happened at that time that turned out to be a true gift, but I didn't realize it. I had always thought I was um, an emotionally in tune person. But um, when I went through that, and I saw who helped and how and, and had support from some didn't have support from others. I really gained a true understanding of how to support someone through loss. 
Mm-hmm. So then when hard things happen to my friends, if they experience the loss of a parent or something devastating happen, I now knew, oh, this is what you do. Because yeah. before then, I really didn't know. And I sadly probably said the wrong thing at the wrong time or didn't mm-hmm. do something or just try to ignore it. And so even though I was very angry and frustrated Um, not only did my husband's cousin's words give me some hope, but they taught me how to give hope to other people. Yeah. So that was a huge part of it. That is powerful. And how did you make the transition from, you said you started offering workshops and this retreat. How did you transition from, because you were teaching before that, right? Teaching college students at a university. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, and I still do college courses, and but I really, in terms of taking this thing that was a hobby, mm-hmm. like, oh, I, I just help women with their books. You know, yeah. I, would, I would say things like just, I just do oh, this, yeah. and nothing, no, nothing. Um, this kind of thing that I did. Uh, when I started claiming that, really claiming it uh, was probably a few years ago when it wasn't just letting people come to me, but Uh I would actively say, oh, and I also coach women in, um, in writing and publishing their memoirs and essays. And I think what helped me gain the confidence to claim it Mm -hmm. and to kind of announce it more and more is that with each woman who had success, who did publish or did write their story as a result of us working together, I felt like, well, there's evidence. I'm doing something. Yeah. (laughs) I can't say it's just this thing because Mm -hmm. when they would send me notes or they're holding their published book in their hands, I'm like, oh, I think this is something. So it was, it was getting evidence and proof little by little that I was helping these people. Mm Um, their testimonials kind of boosted my own confidence. I started claiming it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was still under the thought that, well, I, it's always under somebody else's control. So I do coaching and consulting when I go to conferences. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really think much about this is something you can do. Yeah. And it got to a point where um, I think it was a combination of things where, um, you know, my son, who's now seven, it's like he, there are precious years of his life that I didn't want to be off somewhere yeah. at a conference traveling. So that was it where I was going, I want more ownership of this. I didn't want to have to solely rely on some organization being the vessel for what I would do. And so I started to go, well, I've met so many amazing writers all over the world. You know, I have their contact information. I could just send an email that says like, hey, I'm really doing this, you guys. (laughs) And so really that's what I did. I just started off with a very, very badly designed constant contact email. But I love that you hit send. I mean, you you could yeah. have sat there on it for weeks or months and just said, I don't know, I don't know. Oh yeah. I, well, I reread it. that email about for three <laughs> hours. Like and type, are there any typos? The worst thing is as a writing coach, sending right. something out that might have a typo. God <laughs> 
I'm sending it through spell check. I'm reading it out loud. I'm sending it to my sister, my husband, spell check it for me. Make sure it doesn't have typos. So funny. I mean, and it was like a paragraph, right? right? And they're like, you know, my husband just kept saying, nay to press sent. My sister calls me nay. She's like, nay, press sent. Did you press sent? <laughs> so finally funny. I was like, Doo! and I ran away. <laughs> And I was just like, what am I doing? Um, Because it just felt, I don't, you know, I think it's a combination of things. I think it felt like I was raised to be humble. I was raised that arrogance is not a great uh, characteristic to have. Yeah. And um, it kind of this bordering on don't get too big for your britches sort of reality. And while my, my parents would say, when there's a will, there's a way and you can be anything you want to be at the same time, there was always kind of this inherent message of, but remember where you came from and don't, don't try to be too out there because nobody, nobody likes that. Um, And they didn't mean that, but that's Mm -hmm. the message that I was getting. And so I think when I sent it out, I was terrified that people would be like, oh, she's a coach who, you know, la-di-da or, um, or who does she think she is? It's always Um, that. None of that happened. I mean, everyone was like, oh, I'm so excited. I'll refer you to a friend. And, um, and, and now that I think back, I'm like, why did I think that people would respond negatively to the fact that I want to help women tell their truth and their story? Why would that ever be looked at as a bad thing? That's true. (laughs) So it started with a very badly designed constant contact email and just the next email and the next, and, and really started taking hold when I, um, I started having a better design website that was able to have better function and yeah. go, okay, and here's how you can sign up for a long time. I was swimming under the admin of uh-huh. just, okay. And I was, I was meddling too much in having to do all this organization. And once I got the right website designer and Elizabeth Stillwell, you're amazing. Um, Once she helped me kind of streamline things, I didn't need to put so much emphasis on the admin and it freed me up to have more coaching time, more teaching time. You have to invest in yourself. That's one thing I learned from you, you know, invest in whatever's taking the most of your time, because that's going to suck your energy. If you're spending all your time tweaking your website and Mm -hmm. doing all that. Yeah. It's uh, what is sustainable for you? What is truly Mm -hmm. sustainable and what can you ask other people for help with, which I don't love doing. I I like to just, I I have a hard time going, can you help? Not only because I don't want to put things on other people, but then who am I if I can't do 75,000 tasks at Mm -hmm. one time? Yeah. (laughs) And then, then when I realize that, oh, if I don't ask for help, then I cannot serve, then what's the point? Yeah. (laughs) That's when I was like, okay, hire a web designer. Yeah. Ask this person for marketing help. Ask this person for that. And it made a huge difference. Yeah. The other thing that, that I learned from you was you call it, I think you're, it's not an elevator pitch, but it's your story, like your your origin story, origin story. And so by saying, I am a woman who helps empower women to tell their stories, or I am, you know, that is, has tremendous power. 
And before you were playing small and you were saying, I'm just, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, but by really owning it and saying, I am this, mm-hmm. then I think the universe pays attention and, oh, well, you are a woman who helps mm-hmm. empower women who blah, blah, blah. Then it really yeah. starts happening. Yeah. And I think that we take our own expertise for granted. Uh-huh. All, for a while, I thought that what I did is what everyone does. Like, oh, of course, this is how you write a story and this is how you write a book and this is how you publish it. Everybody knows that. Yeah. <laughs> and most people would go to me and say, no, nope, nope. I had no idea about this. I had no idea about that. And um, there's that famous quote about audience, which is that your audience is you before, right? Uh-huh. Your audience, who you're serving is just the you um, who was five years ago or three yeah. years ago. They're, they're like you. They're just a few steps behind and they would love to know what you have to offer. And I think Kathy Hiller got that quote from someone else. But when I heard that quote, it was like a light bulb where I just thought that's so true. All of us have some expertise in some area that if you tapped another person on the shoulder and said, Hey, want to save yourself five years worth of effort by making this process easier? They'd be like, yes. Yes. (laughs) And so when I realized that by my own trial and error, I had understood how to write stories faster more effectively, I had learned. I had learned how to navigate the publishing industry. Uh-huh. That I could save women years of time. That yeah. I can help them create a beautifully written story and a a great product to put out into the world. Their the legacy that they could create, that they could pass on to friends and family and strangers. Uh-huh. Why Why would I not do that? Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. It's your gift. And we all have a gift inside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't, it's, it's the thing that you are, it's like so close to your face. You cannot even see it because mm-hmm. it's just so natural to you that, that you wouldn't even recognize it. So, yeah. you know, my, my husband, he just, he, even though he's not a chef anymore in the nine to five sort of sense, he cooks nonstop. That's what he loves to do. Like if it's football Sunday, he's smoking the meat and making the wings and all of that dinner time, he's making a creative meal. And so when I was leading retreats, I and I said to him, you know, I'll do the teaching, you do the cooking. And he was like, oh, it was like (laughs) a surprise. He, you know, he was like, Oh yeah. Oh, oh, that could, Oh. And then he gets into the menu planning and everything, but it's like, it was so close to his face that he, sometimes he can't even see it or anyone, any of us has something that is so natural to us that is not natural to other people. And I'm a, I'm not just saying this because you're a writing coach, but I'm a big fan of writing to get it out and figure out what your thing is or your things. There's more than one, but I think writing is a way to um, release that onto paper to kind of unlock the box. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and there are a few, I think, helpful writing exercises around that. One of that, I think we did together, um, 
in Joy Journaling, which is where uh, this beautiful author, Danielle Laporte, she Mm -hmm. has a great book um, that is talking about, it's called The Desire Map. It talks about goals with a soul. And first she says, well, how do you want to feel, right? How do you want to feel in the, in the future? So rather than making a new year's resolution or something, you go, okay, how, how do I want to feel? Well, I want to feel creative. I want to feel alive. Okay. What can you do in order to feel that way? But here's the other question. What do you already do to Mm. feel that way? So what already makes you feel alive, creative, joyful, helpful, Yeah. Look at your own past as evidence. It's like so often we forget to explore our own life and memories as proof of what we can do more of, what we should do less of. And I think that just taking 10 minutes to examine questions like that Mm -hmm. totally eye-opening because when I did that years ago, kind of intuitively, I would always write, you know, what was, what's been my most joyful moment from the year or what series of joyful moments. And I would always write down helping women, coaching women, women, helping women get their stories out. And (laughs) finally it got through my thick skull. Like, duh. (laughs) Yeah. That's where you found the most joy. Do more of that. Do more of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, y'all should really consider signing up for Nadine's courses, workshops. Nadine, tell us what's, what are you offering right now? Sure. Yeah. So um, a variety of things. So I, I do lead one-on-one coaching for women uh, writers who are memoirists and essayists. Um, when this episode airs, I think that will be closed, but um, one-on-one coaching will open again in the spring. So if you're someone who knows I have a book in me, I want mm-hmm. it out in the world in a short period of time, and I want it to be good and engaging, that would be something to keep your eye open for. But right now, what people can do is I have a writer workout membership um, and people that's open until the end of January. So people can still sign up for that. It is something I love so much because years ago, I kind of said to myself, you know, I go to the gym most days and I do my exercises. And if I didn't have a a, a exercise instructor telling me to move this way and that, I wouldn't do the work. And I always said to myself, why don't they have something like that for writers? Why is yes. there not a regular gym membership for writers? Oh, I love it. Where they just go and they do the thing. They do the work. Yeah. Someone's holding them accountable. Some, someone's giving them prompts. Someone's making them do it consistently yeah. like a personal trainer would. And so I was literally, I was in a, a yoga sculpt class when the idea popped in my head years ago and it was like writer workout. And I was like, oh, that's cute. And so (laughs) I I created that. And so what it looks like is uh, every Monday we meet together at noon central time on Zoom and there are people from all over the world and we come together and um, I, it works for people uh, who are writing poetry, fiction, nonfiction, doesn't matter, high level advanced to basic beginner, doesn't matter. Uh 
we all come together. I lead some prompts and some visualizations and then we write. And at the end it's optional, but you can share as well. And the Mm -hmm. community that has come out of that is so supportive. We have a little Facebook page and people are going, Oh, you should submit your, your essay to this magazine. Yes. So supportive. Yes. And it's awesome. So the membership is um, it's a monthly membership in terms of you can join and you can leave anytime you want, but no one does, which is yeah. great. Um, and we meet together every week. So that's open till the end of January. So I think that's a good place to start for anyone who's interested in really taking the writing to just a more committed level. Yeah. Um, but I also lead some writing and wellness workshops, joy journaling and things like that. So I think the best place to find out all of that is just my website, meetingkennyjohnstone.com. I'll put that on our show notes and um, yeah, sign up for her newsletter. So you know, which events are coming up too. Yeah. I don't, I don't inundate you. It's no, usually once you don't a send week. them very often. Yeah. I do either once a week or every couple of weeks. Um, yeah. And it's usually with a little kind of um, note from me about just insights that I've had or what's going on in my life. And then at the bottom, it'll show whatever is going on. So, uh, so usually people like getting them and they're not, they're not inundated. No, they're great. Thank you so much for coming and taking time today to share your stories more than one. I'm just so amazed by you when I saw, (laughs) when I saw the email that you'd started this podcast, first of all, it's a great name great concept. It completely encapsulates you. You're doing it. And you have all these episodes out. I was, I was like cheering in my office. Oh, I I am so amazed by you. Oh, thank you. And I'll put your contact information so people can get to know you more. Awesome. Thank you so much. Here are 14 takeaways from Nadine's talk. Number one, Curiosity and a willingness to try something new will often lead to wonderful things. Nadine was willing to go to Florida for the weekend. She was willing to move to Massachusetts. She was willing to try coaching and write a memoir. Number two, if you find yourself thinking catastrophic thoughts, ask instead, what's the best thing that could happen? Number three, it's maddening when there's no guarantee things will work out. But sometimes if you hang in there anyway, great things will happen. Number four, trust your instinct. Like when Nadine felt pulled to leave Massachusetts and move to Chicago, pay attention to those pulls. Number five, just because you decide something doesn't mean, just because you decide something doesn't mean you're stuck in that decision forever. You are allowed to change your mind. If you move somewhere new and you don't like it, you can leave. If you start a new job and it's terrible, you can always find another job. Number six, you can have visions of what you want, but be open to treasures and nuggets that appear along the way, like Nadine thinking that she wanted to move to the city and live there forever, but she was open each step along the way, and she ended up living outside the city and having chickens. Number seven, use medical setbacks as a time to slow down, prioritize, and reconnect with yourself, and maybe think of it as a life lesson for not having control over everything. Number eight, by setting your hope on something, despite all odds, it can completely change your energy about a situation. Like when Nadine's relative told her she would have a baby one day, of this much she was sure. Number nine, collect evidence and proof of your talents and skills by helping one person at a time. This will boost your confidence and validate you. 
Number 10, invest in yourself. Ask yourself what's sustainable for you and hire out the things that you're not good at or don't enjoy. You can't serve others if you're pouring all your energy into things that drain you. Number 11, we take our own expertise for granted. We assume everyone is good at whatever our particular gifts are. We each have expertise in an area. Nadine knew how to write stories faster and more effectively. She knew how to navigate the publishing industry. Sometimes it's so close to your face you don't even recognize it. Like Nadine's husband's chef skills. Number 12, when you're trying to decide who to serve with your skills and talents, imagine yourself a few years ago. What did you need or wish you'd had that would have made your path easier? Number 13, think about how you want to feel and then go back over the times in your life when you felt that way. Nadine wanted to feel joyful and engaged. She remembered how helping women was one of the things throughout her life that gave her those feelings. Number 14, take your hobby to a more committed level by signing up for a workshop, class, or course. This will require you to show up in a way you might not do solo. It's like going to the workout, going to a workout class at a gym. You're more likely to get there, do the work, and feel fabulous afterwards than if you just tried to work out at your house. I hope y'all enjoyed this. Check out Nadine's website, nadinekennyjohnstone.com. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast, Recharting Your Life with Hope. Everything I discuss in this show reflects my own views and opinions and not those of my employer. Although I'm a physician assistant in my real life, any advice or tips you hear on this show should not be used as medical advice. If you like what you hear, come on over to HopeThePA.com or follow me on Instagram at HopeThePA.com.